follow us on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. You will have to enter that in because the fact that we are adult content means that we have agreed to make ourselves unsearchable on their website. My name is Elle and I'm a sex educator. My name is Jen and I'm a private investigator. We want to learn more about ourselves. I'm like the boring vanilla one over here that's like, I don't do anything, but I'm, cu- I'm curious. And the fact that we're both sex workers means that we have insight into things taboo. Trigger warning, if you're easily upset by this stuff, maybe take a break. I have a feeling this is going to be weird. Sex and politics make for some very strange bedfellows. Shania Luther is the founder and director of AmongFriends.org, right? Yes. Yes. And Shania, you are a social sexual ecologist and a professional trainer in the field of human sexuality. Yes, I am. Yes, you are. You have nearly 20 years of experience writing, speaking, and presenting about all facets of sexuality, gender, and relationships. And you utilize an ecological framework attachment theories, developments in neurobiology, and trauma-informed care. In addition to conducting trainings and consulting, Shania, you are an authorized behavior professional and OIS trainer for the state of Oregon, and you maintain a part-time coaching practice. Whew, holy crap, that's a lot of stuff. Your (laughs) website is quite impressive. Thank you. Like so many training sessions. Jen, I don't know if you got a chance to look at this, but there's... I'm looking right now. Yeah. It's like, let's see, services. God, I wrote all these down in my notes too, but I just got lost in your webpage because it's so impressive. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. So you have training sessions such as raising sexually healthy kids, Mm -hmm. mapping your own pleasure, uh, how attachment theory can improve your life. And then keynote speeches on sexual assault. So 20 years. So how did you, what sent you down this path? Are are you still, are you Wiccan? Well, I would say that that's probably the closest identifier I have for my spirituality right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Can you, can you tell me more about that? Because I've always like, as someone who considered themselves an atheist and was raised one, I found, I find myself more pulled to like pagan and Wiccan spirituality, like being connected with the earth and my body and Jen's nodding. Yes, I'm nodding. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense to me than one male God up in the sky. That's you know, pulling the strings. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what I will say is I was raised in a household um, as a minister's daughter and a missionary's daughter. Whoa. Yeah. I was born in Africa and my parents were there for five years. And I know that that, that word missionary has a lot of baggage attached to it. Um, I happen to have a really great family life and good parents and who were pretty liberal and pretty what I would consider sex positive. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that didn't mean that I didn't absorb all of the messages of the larger culture around sex and bodies and, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what are things that are bad about those things? Um, As I got older, I, I did, uh, study to become a pastor because I thought I would do sexuality education within the context of faith communities. Oh God. And that's so valuable too. Yes. (laughs) As a non, you know, again, as a non-religious person, like people need to be met where they are. So who do they go to? Absolutely. Well, and also I think that for me, two of the most powerful identifiers that people 
cling to are sexuality and spirituality, whatever those are. And so I think that they intersect a lot. I think that the church has a lot of healing to do around issues of sexuality. They've done a lot of damage over the years. But what's true for me now is that my spirituality has really grown into more of the earth-based, as you were saying, and body-positive traditions Mm -hmm. and much more what I would call an embodied uh, practice so that I really believe that we should experience the world and whatever we understand as the divine through our bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel so much better. Um, sometimes I find that when I pay more attention to the earth around me, I feel more connected to myself, um, which makes sense because we live, you know, like human beings, we've been eking out our existence on this planet forever. So it's like, what is the sun telling me? How is the breeze? Yes. Like, do I want to be inside? Do I want to be outside? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I also am drawn to the more... Uh, feminine traditions mm. at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. How so. could you not be, honestly? <laughs> <laughs> like, so much. I hear it from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I would like to envision a matriarchal community uh, where, I mean, what somebody, uh, this came up on Facebook a couple of years ago, and I was joking. I said, instead of, and we, we have the patriarchy where we have this problem with like, the lack of, I guess, attachment that people make to each other. So having sex and then making kids everywhere. Some guys just make children throughout mm. their lives and don't care for <laughs> any true. of them. Yes. So we have these women who are like, I mean, really saddled with raising and all of this care. So I'm like, what if in the future, um, women just, we only fuck people for their genetics and we have like the structures <laughs> to raise our children. Like, you're a douche, but you have good genes. So I'm going to use that and then goodbye because my nest of familial you know my peoples will take care of the child that's right i think there's lots of people that already kind of do i was gonna say right but but overall in society you know (laughs) uh, i think it's um i think that'll probably take off more i mean it's look at look at the popularity of open relationships and like non-traditional mm-hmm. relationship structures mm-hmm. and it really does take a village sometimes yes yeah. absolutely so let's talk more about um i've never heard of a behavior consultant before and sure so you're an authorized behavior consultant in the state of oregon and you have a provider number um what does that entail yeah well th- that's a really good question the job that i do for the state today i did not even know existed eight years ago. Hmm. So that's a fascinating thing. So for individuals who experience developmental disabilities and sometimes co-occurring mental health disorders, um, they get funding from the state and from the federal government to have help with things that they need help with. So for example, if somebody with a developmental disability doesn't know how to plan a menu and buy food and cook their meals like they there's money available to teach them those things Mm. and that's true of all aspects of their life because the goal is to help individuals who experience developmental disabilities be as independent as possible and to have as high quality of life as possible so having a lot of self-determination and being able to make choices for themselves so what happened was that I um through a series of very funny and probably too long stories to tell <laughs> now. Oh, maybe, um, <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. Ended up um, taking a job, part-time job, and that grew into a full-time thing around supporting individuals with 
what are considered challenging behaviors. So behaviors that are potentially illegal, unsafe, or unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And because my special my specialty, excuse me, is sexuality, and I've been a sexuality educator for more than fifteen years, my niche in in this culture in this profession is around healthy sexual development for individuals who experience developmental disabilities, which is a big mouthful. <laughs> but what I like to tell people is that it's everything from I'm lonely and I don't know how to meet people to I'm doing things that are in public that are going to get me arrested and everything in between. Mm. Okay. So like boundary type. Thing. Yeah. More boundaries practices. and consent and, uh, you know, how do you meet and introduce yourself? What kinds of things are you, you know, are you allowed to touch your body when you're on the max or on the bus? Um, but also things like, um, there's an individual that I w- was called in to help their team recently because this individual is both blind and deaf, oh my um, but is and has developmental disabilities, um, but is displaying a lot of behaviors around uh, self-pleasuring, masturbation, mm-hmm. and they as a team don't know how to support him because he's entitled, right, to have that experience in his body, but he's doing it in places and in and in situations that are either unsafe or or are going to get him in a lot of trouble, mm-hmm. and so they wanted help trying to figure out how do they as a team address his needs um, in a way that honors him but also keeps him from getting you know arrested or Mm -hmm. kicked out of somewhere or whatever else could happen Mm -hmm. when I when I when I close my eyes and think about not being able to also hear I I mean when I lay down in bed to go to sleep at night I put my hands straight to my genitals like Mm. I am there to soothe myself and as a child I actually had my hands in my pants all the time (laughs) <laughs> until you know like there were conversations about it and I stopped eventually but it makes so much sense because right. it's like you you need some kind of sensory pleasure right and where do you go you can't see you can't hear right. you're connected to your body yeah I would touch myself too right absolutely oh, that's <laughs> tough oh my goodness yeah okay so how do you how do you teach this like behavioral change is it through repetition or talking it out or how how does it actually work? Like, Yeah, like? well, I'll give you the examples that we came up for this team member, or excuse me, this individual with mm-hmm. their team, um, is that the first thing we need to do is we need to help him identify when he's going to go into his room for private time. Mm-hmm. So we're going to give him a card that has a certain texture on it, and every time he begins to touch himself in a way that looks like self-pleasuring, we're going to be having him touch the card and then guide him to his room mm-hmm. and help him understand that that's the place for that activity. Okay. And then conversely, because he has a signal that is that could be mistaken as masturbatory behavior, but it's, I have to go to the bathroom. He's trying Mm. to tell somebody he has to go to the bathroom. We're going to have a card with a different texture to help him Mm -hmm. notify people that he has to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. So we have to first train him to use the cards for the different places. And then when he uses his card to uh, have private time, we're not sure that he actually knows how to ejaculate, for example. So as a team, what we have to do is we have to teach him ways that he could touch himself, give him the lubricant and other supplies that he might need, and make sure that, um, that we 
teach him through repetition on a model, not on his own body, because that's not legal. And there's so many (laughs) things that could be wrong with that scenario. But on a model, we need to teach him, you know, what he can do for himself and then give him the space and the time to enjoy that. And then we're going to have to figure out as a team how we explain ejaculation. Like what, what does that look like and feel like for him? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, it's creative, right? And you can imagine that this kind of conversation is incredibly uncomfortable for so many people, including his mother, who's in the room going, oh my gosh, Yeah, I never imagined having this kind of... Well, that on top of the communication, the communication... So with the communication, you said that sounds... Yeah, I mean, that must be an extra layer on top of the communication barriers that are... Absolutely. Already there. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and there are so many ways in which, uh, because I know about the sexuality piece, I know about the things that he needs in terms of, um, you know, information and, and supplies and that kind of thing, but I haven't been living with him for, you know, 30 plus years, Mm -hmm. uh, his family and his team, his support team know how to communicate with him. So now we have to blend those two things together and I have to teach them what they need to communicate to him. Oh my God. So it's really interesting. And all of this sounds so expensive, like to the parents, but you said it's state supported somehow. Yeah. So anybody who experiences developmental disabilities gets a certain amount of funding every year. And it, it depends on how serious the disabilities are. Mm -hmm. Um, more severe disabilities get more funding and mm-hmm. you know as you can imagine mm-hmm. and so in his case he has a lot of funding because he has such mm-hmm. significant disabilities oh my goodness um so i'm looking more about you and so you've studied and you've lived through let's see reflexology emdr therapeutic photography yeah. I, what is that? <laughs> Jen perked up. <laughs> she likes the photos. She's yeah. Well, so I've loved photography for a long time. And one of the things that I started doing when I was in seminary, actually, interestingly enough, was that I did a, a class on sort of how does photography help us explore our spirituality? Mm-hmm. And so because I was a sexuality educator also, I did a photography project for that class where I looked at images of um, different types of sexuality in relationship to religion. So I had, for example, two women who were unclothed but were reading a Bible together. And hmm. then I had um, another person who was in a bathtub touching themselves but also had a cross necklace on, you know. Mm. And so, so I was really trying to kind of uh, play with that what people think are different things and unrelated things and try to blend them together. And what came out of that was that I started doing artistic nude photographs for people at my seminary because oh my goodness. they had never had any done and were curious and wanted pictures of themselves and felt like they could trust me. And so that grew into doing more of those types of photos for different people. And what happened in the process of all this was that because I, I, because I believe that bodies are beautiful and because that I, because I'm looking at someone from the standpoint of what energy are they putting out into the world and how are they presenting themselves, um, people started to see themselves differently 
through the pictures. I'm going to cry. <laughs> I do this a lot. No, yeah, okay, it's it's <laughs> is there anywhere that we can view your work? Do you have it posted online? You or know, I don't shows? post it online because it's people's personal photos. Right. And, you know, I, I used to promote it more and I used to have a few, I used to have a small portfolio of things that I would show people. But at this point, it's more word of mouth and I do it kind of as a side thing. But I love it because I love giving people a a way to feel good about themselves and see themselves in a way that they maybe have never even considered. And so I've taken pictures of couples and poly, you know, poly triads and and also (laughs) individuals and some are some of them are nude and some of them are partially clothed and Mm -hmm. but it's just so sweet and beautiful to help people have that experience that's as i'd say that's such a skill to put somebody at ease like when they're nude in front of a camera yeah. um, in another in another lifetime I was a photography major and I worked for um, a commercial photographer for a little while and I still I still use photography as a as a way to make sense of my life yeah. if that makes any sense Absolutely. like I've, I've started bringing my camera out with me on my investigations and just taking photos of what's around me yeah. when I'm out at these places and it really helps me at the end of the day make some sort of through making visual sense of something it helps me make some sort of internal mm-hmm. sense of it I as love well that. So, yeah mm-hmm. i like taking photos of the scribbles that i see people's tags because it was important enough for them to make it you know even oh. if it looks like gobbledygook to me sometimes i know yeah. so nonviolent communication of course you're good at that we've <laughs> <laughs> been listening to you talk of course you're good at that thank you <laughs> uh-huh um Chakra healing, soul retrieval. Um, can we talk about soul retrieval? Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even pretend to be an expert at it, but I've had some pretty profound experiences, and so I did a little bit of learning from the folks that that helped me with it. And it's an energetic process, an energetic healing more than anything else, um, about really helping people go back, or not even back necessarily, uh, go into uh, a different place energetically it's almost like a trance Hmm. and then uh, one of the guided meditations that I got taken on was uh, to go and look for the gifts that your other selves left for your for you and to retrieve them what does that mean well (laughs) I think this is going to be hard to explain no no we have good listeners we're (laughs) we're ready great well for me the experience was um the guided meditation was to take you down a path and and to ask you know what would your you know what did your two year two year old self leave for you find it on the path and and you know to look for whatever my two year old self had to to leave for me and give me and then you know the person took me on a timeline of I think it was two and then seven and then 12 and you know and it went on through the years and it was such a beautiful experience because each time I literally would find something in my mind you know it was a visual experience but I'd find something in my mind that had been left for me and sometimes I could have sat down and described it to you it was an object or a or a a message of some sort other times it was just a feeling and it was a lot for me about, um, being loved and accepted and, uh, enough, I guess is the word. Um, crying again. <laughs> I was crying again. 
Yeah. And this this episode's for me, not anyone else. No. Right? Just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, that's... I Okay, I understand that because I'm thinking of a little red shovel that I used to use to dig in the yard when I was like five. Yeah. And I found a photo of myself when I was actually that age, like a week ago, and I just looked so spirited and it was a good reminder i'm like god i'm so glad my mom sent that photo because look at that little girl she looks like my daughter but it's me look how spirited she is don't let that die yeah (sighs) might be okay this is good no this is good (laughs) i think listeners also like it when i i cry because then they know i have a soul (laughs) 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 i just pretend to be tough i know oh this is so great okay i'm so glad we had you on jen well i have I have a question, kind of, because we never, oh man, I mean, I think we neglect spirituality a lot. Mm. Yeah, not on, on this purpose. Show. But... but yeah, I mean, I'm also a pretty diehard atheist. However, last year, were you here for the eclipse? When we got totality. I remember that. I was not prepared for the physical experience that that was. Like, yes. it did something to my cells. Like, yeah. I felt like my body was singing and it felt like the universe lifted her skirt up a little bit and let me peek underneath. <laughs> yeah. Like it was just mystery. And maybe that's, and I was thinking, maybe that's kind of what spirituality is. And I guess so I, and I realize I have, um, I'm sorry, I'm still stoned from yesterday. So just, <laughs> I'm Jim tried making, THC yeah, for the first time I had in like a, how yeah, many years? Many years. Many years. Um, <laughs> so bear with me. But it, the whole experience made me realize how, how lacking spirituality is and spiritual experience is in my life. And I guess my question is, is for people that don't, that aren't believers and have no religious foundation, like how can we get spiritual experiences too? Like how, because I, crave that yeah through the earth like how i do it is really through gardening yeah gardening and walks um smelling flowers yeah looking at the sky yeah for me i think the thing that i would say about that is there are a couple things that are powerful one is that anything that brings you completely into the present right anything that keeps your mind from wandering to the past and wandering to the future but just brings you a hundred percent into your body right now is pretty powerful and people are so we have that I forget there's a there's an actual psychological term for it but that voice in our heads you know that Mm -hmm. that constant chatter Mm -hmm. anything that can quiet that Mm -hmm. and some people of course use things like drugs and alcohol to to kind of try to get out of that voice but other people for them spirituality is kind of the key about what brings them present um so for some people that's nature for some people that's um music exercise yeah exercise can totally do it um for some people that's an incredible um meditation experience um dancing for some people is spiritual right and then i think another thing is about community And so for a lot of people, their spirituality has more meaning when they can do it in community. For other people, that's not so necessary, you know, so they're okay doing it all alone or being on, you know, being, I have a friend who hikes and for him, you know, for sure, there's a spiritual experience in that. And, um, but he does that by himself, but other people would want to do it together with other people. Mm -hmm. And then the third piece for me is about that mystery part, which is how do we make sense of what we're doing here? What, what our, um, for lack of a better way of saying it, a purpose, what is our purpose? Sorry. Now I'm Mm -hmm. getting teary. Right. (laughs) Right. It's okay. I can talk. I'll carry you now. You can cry into the break. 
Shania, I'll let you finish yeah. that thought yeah. before we take a break. Oh, yeah. Just got so, tears. Good. Yeah. Good. So this for me, it's just about, about seeking out what is our purpose and what helps us feel connected to other people and how do we get fed in our hearts and how do we help give back to other people? Mm-hmm. So. Attention service and sex industry workers. Seeking Space Yoga is dedicated to providing a holistic option for after your shift with new 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. class times. Seeking Space is rooted in empathy, and they've combined creative flows and experienced teachers to provide a safe, inviting space for any and all wishing to find peace on the mat. Need a little motivation? They are offering 10% off on all memberships and packages for those in the industry. Visit SeekingSpaceYoga.com or download the Seeking Space Yoga app for more information and a full list of class times. Passion by Kate is an award-winning resource for women and couples who crave a more intimate, exciting, and fulfilling sex life. Passion by Kate's affirming writing, workshops, and one-on-one counseling help you create a new level of openness and intimacy with your partner without feeling awkward, twisting yourself into a pretzel, or spending hours a day on intimacy-building activities. Learn more and find hashtag freedom and pleasure at Passion by Kate. That's K-A-I-T dot com. Mention this podcast to receive a complimentary 30-minute counseling session when you purchase any Passion by Kate product or service. If you're looking to jazz up a jacket, bag, or just your fine self, our friends at Gimme Flare have everything you could possibly need. Gimme Flare is the largest online retailer of pins and patches that range from the cute and sweet to the snarky and slutty. They are sex positive, queer friendly, and aim to crush mental health stigma, all with fun flair from around the globe. Check out gimmeflare.com to browse items from over 250 plus artists. So let's dive into some listener questions. Even though I'm relatively young, I feel like due to trauma and not experimenting properly, in my opinion, my sense of vaginal stimulation has been almost completely eradicated. It's difficult to have penis and vagina intercourse without feeling violated or out of it after a while. I'm beginning to consider incorporating edible weed products to see if that helps at all. I do climax when I use my Hitachi wand and I've started to depend on it and I feel jaded. Any help would be great. There's a few things going on here. Yeah. Um, I identify with all of this, like been there. Like it's still, it's still kind of hard if I have, I think something that has brought up a previous, I hate using the word trauma so much, but a previous trauma. And it's very near to when I have sex with B, who's a, a, you know, a great partner that I feel safe with and comfortable. Um, but it's not his fault, but definitely like I just feel dick in and out of me and it reminds me of things that I don't want to remember and mm-hmm. I disassociate mm-hmm. in order to not react badly. And that's when I have to kind of like tap him and say, I need you to slow down. I need you to breathe with me. And at this point I can, I can do that. But years ago I would just have to stop altogether. Um, so if you have a partner you can do that with, that's great. But I understand how you don't want to bring that up if you're like casually fucking someone. You're like, ah, I'm having a traumatic flashback or feeling totally disassociated. Um, do you guys have any personal thoughts on this so far? 
I mean, I've definitely experienced this that there when there's been something a partner that has done that it's usually not penetration, but something else like a word, a way of speaking to me, a way of touching me that kind of brings me out of the moment and into a a place where I just don't want to be there mm-hmm. ugly anymore. Space. Ugly space. I feel ugly and yicky. Even though I feel like what can literally help sometimes is just like switching positions. Mm. You know? Yeah, it, but even with this person says PIV just in general. Right. Right. Yeah, I would just add too that um, there's so many people have trauma and that, I mean, it's just an unfortunate reality in our world right now that, that we have to, hopefully we can change that. But given that so many people do, one of the, tricks that I would suggest for this individual is that if they can have somebody that they trust, uh, help them explore their vulva and their vaginal canal. So one of the things you mentioned, Elle, on my, on my website is pleasure mapping. Mm -hmm. And so being able to map, like, what does this spot feel like? And, and do you like being touched this way or this way or how much pressure or, you know, in a certain movement in a certain way. And you can actually literally write those things down on a piece of paper, you know, five o'clock, an inch deep in my vaginal canal feels like this and two o'clock, three inches deep. And, you know, my vaginal canal feels like this or nine o'clock on my external vulva on my, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. labia majora feels like this I mean those are all very technical terms but anyway mm-hmm. but, like <laughs> but the idea being yeah. yeah the idea being you can you can learn those things if you're doing it with somebody you trust you can kind of just learn about like what does it feel like in this body to mm-hmm. have someone touch me in this spot and sometimes that can be really helpful so that when you have somebody that you're experiencing some sexual activity with you can kind of check in with yourself am I still enjoying this or it or have I either disassociated or do I need to do something else? Mm-hmm. I think the other thing I heard in that comment was that uh, she's becoming, or that person, excuse me, is becoming a little bit uh, dependent on their Vibrator. Hitachi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 And that can be really frustrating for people. Uh, but I think the psychology of that is really interesting because it's safe, right? It's mm-hmm. not going to. It's not going to do anything to you. Yeah, your Hitachi is not going to hurt you. It's not going to upset you. Exactly. And it's not going to leave you. Right. Yeah. It's not going to complain or be Mm -hmm. like, why? I feel rejected. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so being able to understand that there's, there's an understandable piece of that comfort and that ease that helps you relax and potentially orgasm. Mm-hmm. with a vibrator over a person because you're more vulnerable with a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. And it's also your body wants to have that orgasm. So it knows a reliable way it's going to want to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being aware of that is great because yes, you can kind of disable yourself in a way where you become fixated on only one type of masturbation and then that can become monotonous for people right. and it prevents them from branching out and experiencing more embodied, you know, pleasure again. But what you said about pleasure mapping, it doesn't even have to be on your genitals either. Right, right. And I had talked to, I had interviewed uh, my friend Carlene. She's a uh, partner surrogate and she said she has orgasmic earlobes and she knows this due to pleasure mapping, just touching all over oh. and finding what... Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I think it's so neat. <laughs> um Regarding the incorporating edible weed products, Jen, do you have any thoughts? Oh my God. Be Jen. very Okay. So oh, back backstory. <laughs> backstory. Um, in order to treat I have lots of like chronic pain and anxiety issues. So I've been experimenting with um 
with weed as a treatment for these things. And so last night, um, before I went to bed, I accidentally took a ginormous puff <laughs> off your brand new, <laughs> off my brand new weed vape pen, um, which I have absolutely no experience with at all. I thought it was clogged. So I sucked super hard and uh, yeah, it wasn't clogged. Um, Even though there wasn't that much THC um, in this formula, it really kicked my ass and I'm still feeling it today. And whatever particular blend was in it really set me off and like- Not in a good way. Yeah, not in a good way. You Um, said you you felt paranoid, I woke up and just felt hopeless despair. And I kind of felt it as soon as it- hit me I, it's so weird because none of the other like cbd products i've tried have made me feel that way it's been quite the opposite mm-hmm. so whatever blend this is the so, thc you think whatever strain it was yeah whatever strain it was like. just didn't work well um well for me so that being said uh just try little doses yeah and yeah. i mean if you already smoke weed and you know a strain that works for you yeah, look into that. The things that uh, we need to have a weed expert on, and we will at some point. Yeah, I have I have expanded and like explored the universe and my universe through like having sex while being stoned or high off of cannabis. It has changed my life. However, I have also had bad experiences because, I mean, it's chemicals and brains are complex, so you don't always know what's going to happen. Yeah, they're so weird. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So if you have any experience with cannabis, then I would just test that out. And I would also read reviews, keeping in mind that what works for other people isn't necessarily going to work for you. But if like nine out of 10 people tell you that, oh, what's his name? Uh, Barry White strain turns you on, which for me it did. I I felt (laughs) more alive then, you know, that might mean something. And I don't know about anybody else's experience, but I would probably start with a vape pen over edibles because uh, edibles knock me on my ass. That's what I've heard. I really like tincture. I've had really the best experiences I've had so far have been with tinctures because they seem to come on a little bit slower and it feels a little easier to control. Mm Mm-hmm for me interesting yeah and the- i have one that tastes real good too so that <laughs> so that helps <laughs> so that helps <laughs> yeah, that's good i hate my vulva and i don't want to anymore do you have any ideas as to how i can love it more that rhymes um mm. this person wrote me on instagram and they actually were were asking if i could like crowdsource ideas which i still should do that because i would love to hear from other people how they learn to accept or like or love their genitals i have so much feeling about this question because i'm sure it's been said so many times before but if you if you watch pornography there's so many it seems like there's a certain type of there's a type of vulva you see there's a type of vulva that you see a lot of and if yours doesn't look like that Mm -hmm. it's it's just like anything else. It's like you see skinny women in the media and your body doesn't look like that and you feel shame over it. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. so I I get it. Yeah, I, I would look at... Uh, I would look at more... Uh, that's hard because the way the internet is lately, like even artful nude things are just being banned. Yeah, there's a there's a guy and I'm, I can't think of his name right now, but he did, I think, over 100... Uh, plaster 
mold castings of different vulva just to show how diverse it really is. And it's such a beautiful thing. And the thing I was going to recommend is to research, you know, all the different types of vulva. One of the things I was just telling a group of, I was at a youth camp earlier today and I was doing a presentation about, you know, sort of diversity. And I said, one of the things we don't talk about is how much diversity there is in people's bodies and, you know, how many people's vulva are different, how many people's penises are different, how many people's, you know, if, if people have mixed genitalia, Mm -hmm. ambiguous genitals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's just such a huge diversity, but we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so if we don't talk about it and we don't see the images and understand how incredibly different all different genitals are, then we get this idea that there's a right way or a, you know, a set way that genitals should look. And the other thing that I would recommend for this individual, other than researching all the diversity and really just, just exploring that is to think about what, what ways can you have gratitude for your genitals? And I, I I know that sounds super corny no it doesn't (laughs) but like corn yeah but like what do your genitals bring to your life like there's only the only way that we experience the world is through our bodies Mm -hmm. and so if we can learn to appreciate our bodies for helping us experience the world and helping us experience other people then we can appreciate them in all of their quirkiness you know like Mm -hmm. I don't love my chin hairs but they're (laughs) part of what make me me you know (laughs) I wax mine (laughs) there's a there's a website I actually just found labialibrary.org.au and this is so great um everything you need to know about your labia is it normal thinking about cosmetic surgery what you see in magazines and pornography um I don't I'm not familiar with this but it looks pretty good. I would check it out. And there's photos. There's a wonderful gallery. These were. T- it says, content warning. Please be aware that this gallery includes images of genitals. Okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I think something else that we can we can all do or all people should try to do is I know in, um, in some circles, it, it still seems like it's okay for people to say shamey stuff mm-hmm. about other people's genitals. Beef yes. curtains. And we should really, yeah, we should one. call that stuff out when you yes. hear it because it, it hurts people and it's not okay. Yeah. When, people, when people without vulvas say stuff like that about vulvas, I don't actually know what I would say because a lot of times I just kind of dismiss it. I like I I ignore it. But like but I've always liked my vulva and I kind of feel like in defense of people who don't, it would be okay for me to say that's a horrific expression that makes people feel bad. Right. (laughs) Right? But in like a more neutral way. (laughs) I'm going to think about how I can like present that statement. Just saying talking about someone else's body like that isn't okay. Or, yeah. not okay. or even if you're uncomfortable about the possibility of having an, an energetic disconnect with somebody, you could even just say, I love how diverse bodies mm. are. Like, I just love how different and interesting they are. And there's that nonviolent communication. Right there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we need that. Right. Oh, my goodness. All right. So I have one more question. Um I live in Houston, Texas, and I envision hosting a sex-positive cafe like a business that I can host events like monologues, education, guest speakers, kink discussions, and safe places to practice rope bondage, munches for a variety of kink communities, stuff like that in the Houston area. I've taken this idea from my rope community as the dungeon master owns a warehouse that is also his place of residence, but he opens it for the public and private use. However, I have no experience leading my own business and I am not a sex educator. 
how do I start? My current financial situation isn't ideal and it should take me two years to finish paying off my student loans. In this time, I think I'd like to prepare myself and if I'm to host a business of sex education, should I myself be a certified sex educator? What legal advice and knowledge should I seek in regards to business licensing? And I know that Texas is not as liberal as General Houston where I live, so what should I expect from legal, religious, and public communities? Is it feasible to think that I could host any of this? I know it won't be easy and I don't expect to make a fortune. I also expect a lot of backlash from my conservative community. I appreciate any help or wisdom or best wishes you can provide. Or if you think my idea is wrong or too difficult to create, let me know. Focus on one thing. First of all, narrow it down. Like you, in order to host a venue, you do not have to be a sex educator. I know right. people who own venues in town that are not sex educators, but they have a wide network of resources to pull from. Like I, there's so much I don't know. So people come to me with things all the time. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Let's reach out. So you need to start building your resources. Um, as far as financial stuff, I don't even, I don't even know. Like we do this podcast so DIY and I, and I try to save receipts and write stuff off, but that has been a challenge, certainly. Um, and, you know, in regards to what you are hosting, I don't know. And that's a really good question because in some states that are so conservative, let's say like Alabama, you could actually get in a lot of trouble for having like a bondage kinky party places that are more conservative. Like if people find out people lose their children or it affects their jobs. So you'd have to consider if your network can keep confidential and private enough. Um, if you're going to have like a Facebook, it's, it's, it could, it, you'll need it to be closed and private most likely depending on what people are posting. But you also have to keep in mind that Facebook deletes groups relating to sexuality all the time. So there are a lot of obstacles to this. And this is why educators and I think a lot of people who do the work that we do don't make a lot of money or really hardly any. <laughs> What do you think, Shawna? You're such a freelance hustler, so this is where you come in. <laughs> well, so there's a couple of things I think would be really useful to, to consider. First of all, um, I'm afraid I can't speak to anything having to do with Texas law mm -hmm. or regulations. I mean, I just don't know. I just don't. Yeah, me too. So that's a research thing, right? This person needs to go and research that. The second thing I would say is along the lines of what you were talking about, Elle, is that they need to build their network of sexuality educators if they themselves don't want to have to become one. It's mm -hmm. totally fine if they don't become one, but they need to build a network of people that they would invite to come be those speakers, right? Mm -hmm. And they need to have some notion if what somebody says is in line with current science and current you know, thinking and current understanding, especially if it has anything to do with consent or mm -hmm. trauma or any of that stuff. That's super important. Um, thirdly, they asked about being a certified sexuality educator. I think there are a lot of great programs in the world. And then there are a lot of people who will tell you, pay me this much money and I'll give you a piece of paper that says you're certified. Right. Totally. So it'd be really careful about what programs people get involved in and, and where they look. But if you're a person who wants to create safe space for other people to talk about sexuality, I think that's brilliant. And I guess I'm not clear based on their question when when they say a cafe, do they literally mean they're also going to serve food or is it more of just a space that 
they right. can host these kinds of events like a salon right, right. exactly um if they're going to have food involved you know they're going to have a whole other level of business, business issues right. right if they're just talking about a venue space i actually think you know again please check your texas right. laws and whatever but i think that there's a lot less risk in that and um as long as you get good liability insurance good you know good uh, insurance for the space itself and yourself that there's a lot you can do with that and and a lot of creativity you could have mm-hmm. yeah a venue space is great because you can have therapy groups you can have get-togethers you can have dinners you know you exactly. gang bangs whatever you want fundraisers exactly. fundraisers um, yeah. gang bangs <laughs> fundraisers for gang bangs <laughs> um. and make art and you know so many uh, oh and activism you know people mm-hmm. could do social activism through a venue space too so I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many I would definitely go more towards either if you're going to have a venue space on your property again yeah look into all the legal shit of this look up look up Supreme Court cases um, relating to obscenity Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what the porn laws are like I don't know what anything's like in Texas I try to avoid Texas (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah a venue space you can have all kinds of stuff a business Oh my God, I don't think I ever want to own like a brick and mortar strip club or bar because all the moving parts, and especially if you are fearing a backlash, that's like what the fire marshal comes in and says like this, I don't like this structure. Like I'm going to close you down for a week. That shit happens. I feel you sunk costs scare me, you know? What does? Sunk costs. Sunk. Yeah. Putting money into things. Yep. Hey friends, do you get sore muscles or stiff joints like us? How's your skin? Is it dry, itchy, irritated, bruised, or sunburned? If so, it sounds like you need some Nabalm in your pocket. Nabalm, that's N-A-E-B-A-L-M, is an all-natural skin and body balm handmade right here in Portland. Nabalm products use a base of organic olive oil and beeswax followed by an infusion of therapeutic essential oils, each of which provides all sorts of benefit. Oh yes, and they smell amazing. To learn more, check out nabom.com or search nabom on Facebook or Instagram. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with a partner, opening a relationship, or exploring kink? Sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Visit her office in Portland or connect via Skype to take your intimate life to the next level. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica. All right, so let's talk about some news. Um, a couple of days ago, a couple of Senate Democrats are trying to ensure that the countries, I'm reading this from online, largest survey, the U.S. Census, will ask questions questions directly related to the LGBTQ community. So the Census Bureau, I believe they were, I believe there was a movement during the Obama administration to add questions about orientation and gender identity to the survey. Oh and my God, don't that, you just feel like Trump though no, is going to use this for bad? <laughs> they already, but that was the thing. I believe that these motions were put in place and then it was like one of those Obama era things that just got shit canned so now this is another bill to reintroduce the idea that we it's it's like well let's start this over um this would be to the survey by 2030 they want to add this to the survey by 2030 so the senators which is uh kirsten gillibrand from new york democrat cory booker democrat new jersey and tim kane democrat virginia senator kamala harris from california 
We must expand data collection efforts to ensure that the LGBTQ community is not only seen, but fully accounted for in terms of government resources provided. Um, so it's really interesting because as an educator, it's so funny when you look at, you look for statistics and data and it's like, oh, these questions haven't even been asked. Why are we not asking people? I mean, we, we ask people if they're married, um, but when we're talking about sourcing healthcare and like needs for people who aren't being represented, this is how you find out what we need. You're doing, the census is in, in theory a needs assessment. Where should we put our money? Who needs it? Who's living? How are they living? Um, how well are they living? So it seems like it would make sense to me. There's argument that um, NPR had pointed out that the census could be used against people if the government was like targeting people based on their reporting. That's my big concern. I don't know if we're there yet, but I understand the fear. I feel like we're really close to being there. I feel like if we don't turn this around very quickly, we're going to be there. I mean, think. imagine if Trump were to win a second term and <sighs> how... And if we didn't take back the midterms, like imagine how deeply entrenched the more extreme factions of the right would be. And I would be very, I don't want those people having any more data than necessary well, mm -hmm. about like the me. Citizenship question, yeah. you know, how, how could that be used against people and how could, how could that information harm someone as opposed to help them? Um, and I so sad yeah it's so frustrating and then the flip side of all of that is <laughs> you have to forgive my pie in the sky uh dream here but mm -hmm. if we would just take care of people as mm -hmm. people and stop worrying about who they are and what they look right like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I see that too I see that too so but I but I hear you Elle, about that you know as an educator wanting information and how many trans people to... live in America exactly. we don't know exactly how many people are queer we don't know because right. there's no box for it exactly I tell and you what they send me the say. fucking census I'm gonna put every single thing on there that I <laughs> right. can you know right. come and get me like exactly. I have white privilege I have white cis privilege so I have a really embarrassing census story oh God can I can we go to that in yes, one we second can. so let's save it I'll save it for the after episode. <laughs> Oh, good. Oh, perfect. Ooh. <laughs> spicy. Really awful. Yeah, if you want to hear this, I guess you have to give us a dollar on Patreon. All right. So that's right. The wheels were in motion. And last year, the Bureau removed questions of sexual orientation and gender identity from the 2020 census. That's what I read. I knew I read something about that. So that's interesting. Alternately, in Portugal... <laughs> They just approved a new gender ID bill. So if you're 16 or older, you can apply to have your gender relisted to what it is um, rather than what you were assigned at birth. And this also prohibits surgical procedures on intersex babies or people with ambiguous genitals so that these people can grow up and choose their gender later. Ugh, Isn't that so nice? Great. And that's so reasonable. Isn't that nice? It's so, it's so, it's what just having agency a, over your own body? Yes. I don't know what you're talking about. Right? <laughs> yeah. So that was uh, last week. So other countries that have done this uh, Denmark, Malta. I don't know where that is because I'm a dumb American. Sweden. Do you guys know where Malta is? I think it's um, in between Italy and Africa somewhere. I think it's a Mediterranean. I'm going to just acknowledge that I can't place it right now right i'm gonna google it okay while you guys google talk it. i'm google gonna it. google it and let's see let's see let's see how wrong <laughs> i was denmark malta sweden ireland and norway to become the quote sixth european country to grant the right 
to self-determination of transgender identity. Malta is an archipelago in the central Mediterranean between Sicily and the North African coast. Nice job. (laughs) That's cool. Um, In a parliamentary debate before the the vote, uh, a lawmaker from the left bloc party said... Nobody needs a third party to know if they are a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, which is so funny because I'm just talking about the census thing. I'm like, we need to know. <laughs> but I see what in this context. Yeah, it's it, if the person my daughter farted the other day, I think she did. OK, here's the conversation. So I smelled something <laughs> and I, I smelled something. I'm like, Raven, that's stinky. Did you fart? And she's like, no, it's probably the dog. And I said, oh, you're blaming the dog. She looked at me, squared up, crossed her arm. She says, mommy. It's my body, and I would know because I am my body. Oh my gosh! Right? Can I get you a high win, five from over there? Right? I you know. Win. I'm like, I'm raising you better than I was raised. No mm-hmm. offense to my parents, but like, the change is happening. Mm-hmm. Yes, you are your body. You do know better. You still might be lying to me though, because you're six. But I, <laughs> you know. But I like, I like that. Yeah. Our children are so capable of that when you yeah. tell them that. <sighs> Anyway. I love that. I know. So I will be interested to see. I don't know. Would you guys um, report your orientation or your gender identity? I guess, Jen, you don't have, you're straight, so it would be safe. I mean, yeah, I'm straight, so it would be safe. Um, even though at this point, depending on who the administration is, I would, I don't want to tell anybody anything. Really? Just because, even almost more in solidarity. Like, how do you Do you know? fill out your census? Huh? Do you fill out your census? Um, well, that's a question. Ooh, that's a, that's, that's for, the for the story. story. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, good. I, you know, when I moved to Portland, this is so funny. When I moved to Portland, because I totally forgot about this, I, I, I was looking for a job. This was before I got hired at the porn shop where I worked for a year. And um, I remember I went to a job application to be a census taker, person that goes to your door. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they still have people going to your door. I think they just mail you shit. Anyway, so I took the test. I was in the top tier to retake it. And uh, apparently I didn't make the cut. And I was so pissed because I'm, well, it didn't turns out. You didn't make the cut like what you can't I didn't, fill out a survey? Well, I didn't get hired yeah. because they gave hiring preference to veterans. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm not applicable to that. But I was like, I'm a broke ass 21 year old. Give me a job. <laughs> and now I look back on that and I'm just like, God, that would have been a tough job. Right? People are mean to you when you go to their doors. Right. Oh, I'll tell you. Oh, good. This is Spence's building. <laughs> I know. It's, it's going to be such a letdown. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so, Shania, in our remaining yeah. uh, couple minutes here. So what you have so many balls in the air and you mm-hmm. do so much work. So where where do you see yourself going? Where would you like to grow? Well, thank you for asking that because it's fun to kind of dream. But mm. I know that right now uh, about 25 percent of my work is doing behavior supports for the state of Oregon. About 25% of my work is my private practice, you know, seeing people and helping them with their individual or, you know, relational needs. And then about 50% of my work right now is training. And I really, I think for me, I think right now that that's where I feel like I get to have the best impact because if I train a room full of 50 or 80 or 200 people, they're all going to go out and that ripple effect is bigger. So I feel like that's where my energy and time is going. I'm, I'm looking at doing some, you know, starting to do webinars that, that reach across state lines so that I can start helping people Mm. think about these issues on a broader scale. But I also, I also like to put on 
uh, events, you know, so I, I have a little car that says Snuggle HQ out there. <laughs> How? Yes. Lest we forget. I Am I still on your website? Is that photo still up? Yes. Okay. Yes. So what's the website? Snugglehq.com. <laughs> snugglehq.com. So yeah. Shania's a snuggler and she, or she provides a snuggling service also. Where you yeah. snuggle people? Oh. Yeah. I don't Ooh. do the individual one-on-one stuff that some people do, but um, we do group events and, you know, help teach about consent and stuff. So I'm hoping to get in on college campuses and mm-hmm. teach about consent in an embodied way. And oh my I'm God, also, we could do a whole episode just that. about this. I know, right? right? And we're also, I'm also helping, I'm the co- lead for a team of people who's bringing consent summit northwest to portland next year so holy crap yeah that's awesome um yeah i actually (laughs) that thing when you get a text from a friend and it's actually someone took a picture of your car (laughs) and sent it to me and i said i'm having her on tomorrow (laughs) that's so cute oh my gosh Uh uh-huh i was like i know that is interesting good (laughs) tune in oh that's so fun um all right, cool. Well, I'm so happy. We're so happy to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah, um, really nice to talk to you guys too. Totally. Thank you. And our Patreon subscribers, you will hear the rest of it. Otherwise, until next time. For more Strange Bedfellows, check us out on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows and become a supporter for access to behind the scenes material and extra content. My name is Elle Stanger, and you can find me at stripperwriter.com and on Instagram at stripperwriter. And my name is Jen. You can reach me on strangebedfellowspdx.com. <laughs>